blessing it is to be with one another in God's house. Do you know, I often think how God uses people in our lives. God uses, He uses people for the good, for the good in our lives. You know, when I, I, I first arrived here 30 years ago this year, I came in through the front doors full of fear, came in through the front doors full of life's baggage. It was loaded. I was carrying a rucksack full of it, two suitcases, and anything else that life could strap to me. I mean, I was full of life's cares. But I came into the house of God, among the people of God. And you know what? I can tell you, I can tell you to this day, the first five people, I can name them to this day. Some of them have gone on to be with the Lord, but still riveted in my mind, still riveted in my heart are those five precious people that looked out for me every single week that welcomed me into this house. God uses people. People are a wonderful resource and a wonderful provision that God uses in our lives. And when I think about it, and I often think about it, those precious people God used, God moved in my life without a doubt in leading me here. But God moved also through His people. And those people faithfully, they didn't realize it. At the time, it was just a greeting. It was just a hello. It was just an, an, an embrace. It was just, how are you doing today, Dave? How's your week been? Also very normal, but God used those five people and more as time went on to just lead me deeper into this home, lead me deeper into this house. And here I am. 30 years on, and many of you would have a similar story. I couldn't have kept that up for 30 years. My goodness me. Struggle to get out of bed sometimes on a morning. 30 years. Still with God's people, among God's family, part of the house, because of His faithfulness to me and how He moves through His people. How he moves through his people. Faithful people just taking care of a broken life, carrying life's baggage, carrying life's burdens, but over time helping me to unravel the puzzle, helping me to be more like Christ. What a wonderful blessing it is to have people in our lives. And especially, especially God's people. We're God's people. We're God's family. And, uh, hey, listen, always look out. I know you do. I know you do. But always look out for those that are just arriving, just like I did, with bags full, with heavy loads. We were all there once, carrying, bent over double. But you know what? 
people came to you, God's family came to you as it did me. Let's look out for those who arrive, who are arriving just to bless them and encourage them. And they'll be a blessing to us, amen? Amen. What a blessing it is to have people that help you along the way to be more like Christ and to really be established in His church. Well, this morning we're going to start a new series of messages that we're going to call The Greatest Exchange. The Greatest Exchange, because the greatest exchange has taken place for each and every one of us here this morning who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus. This exchange that's taken place is so glorious that the Apostle Paul devoted his entire life to preaching and proclaiming it. Paul, the Apostle, strove on all occasions to give us the fullest picture regarding this great exchange. For example, his letter to the Ephesians is filled with word pictures that describe the sheer wonder of wealth that we have in Christ Jesus. Here in this letter to the Ephesians, Paul wanted believers to understand that an incredible exchange had taken place. An incredible exchange had been made. An exchange of great wealth that's beyond even what we can imagine in our minds. Even beyond all that we can ask or think. A deposit, a transfer of wealth to your account has occurred through what Jesus has done on the cross. This wealth we have in Jesus. And this wealth that we have in Him will never depreciate. It will never diminish from one minute to the next. Its value remains the same. It never fluctuates in value. It never goes up and down inconsistently. No, this value, this wealth that we have in Christ Jesus will never diminish. It will never depreciate because the wealth is Christ Himself. That's who we have. That's who we are in. And because we are in Him, all of His abundance, all of His wealth is credited to our lives. We're in Him. And everything that He has under His reign belongs to you, belongs to me. You know, sometimes when we Look at our lives. We can live so poorly in relation to the revelation that we read in God's Word. We read precious revelation in relation to our lives in, in the Bible, in God's Word, in what's been spoken by His prophets and by His, His apostles. And yet in reality... The revelation that we read doesn't match our lives. But Paul committed his life 
to enriching every believer that was in Christ. Paul made it his mission to declare God's goodness. Paul made it his goal to always point people to the wonder and the glory and the riches of wealth that we have in Jesus. The old things that once impoverished our lives have no more relevance now. No more relevance. We can live a brand new life every day. Eyes wide open to the wonder of this wealth that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And this, this was the object of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He wanted every believer to know that they were the inheritors of untold riches and called to live this life in the fullness of that wealth that they have in Christ. Paul points out in his letter to the Ephesians that there's only one. Now, I'm just giving you a little backdrop to this before we get into it. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, is pointing out that there is only one true source of wealth. Only one means of lasting peace and security. And it's not in the world's stock markets or its bank accounts that fluctuate so inconsistently up and down moment by moment. No, lasting peace, lasting security is found in none other than Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You'll never find peace outside Him. You'll never find wealth, true wealth, outside of Christ. Irrespective of what the world promises, irrespective of what the world projects, there is no true lasting security. There is no true lasting peace or wealth outside of Jesus Christ. There really isn't. Hallelujah. And Paul points this out in his letter. There's only one true source of wealth. And you're in him. You're in him. You're not outside of him. Believer, child of God, you are in Christ Jesus. And that's the big announcement of the letter to the Ephesians, being in Christ. Let's say it together. Being in Christ. Again, being in Christ. That's the big announcement. That was the big announcement of Paul's ministry. That was the, 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 the message that he gave his life to. Almost in all of his letters and in all of his writings, that is what he devoted his time to, being in Christ. On one occasion he said these wonderful words, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives inside of me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God that loved me, that gave himself for me. That's a man that has his eyes completely fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a man that has his mind, his mind locked into everything that Jesus had done for him. 
He couldn't look at another. He couldn't entertain anything else other than Christ. What a wonderful way to live. What a wonderful summary to make about your life. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Paul had such a revelation of Jesus captivating every area of his soul and his flesh that he could truly say, I don't live anymore. I don't live anymore. The one that I see living and reigning and in power in my life is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we want to get to, church. That's where we want to be, where we can look at our life and see that no decision, no word of our tongue, no thought in our mind strays or errs from who Christ is, but everything reflects Him. Wonderful. On another occasion, he says, in Him. What do you say? In Him we live. In Him we move. In Him we have our being. This is not some Disney tale. This is not some fantasy. This was a reality that the Holy Ghost gave to the early church, and He wants to give to every church and every believer throughout the world because of what Jesus has done for us in His shed blood on the cross and through His death and resurrection and victory over the grave. That's the big announcement of the letter, being in Christ. This was the main thrust of His message and the main emphasis of Paul's ministry. In fact, Paul used this in Christ phrase so much that there's no other phrase or formula which occurs with greater frequency in the New Testament than in Christ. Sometimes it might vary from one translation to another when using such words as by Christ Jesus or through Christ. These phrases are also used, but in all of the 200 times where this phrase is used, our new position of life is being brought before our eyes, before our mind for us to live in. You're not outside of Christ anymore. You're in Him. You're in Him, church. Reigning with Him. And every time that in Christ phrase is used by Paul and by others, a declaration's being made. A statement is being made. A revelation is being communicated. That all of the measureless riches of Christ have been exchanged, transferred to our account. The greatest of exchanges has occurred. Whether we've realized it or not, whether we've woken up into it or not, the greatest exchange has taken place in Christ Jesus for our lives. There's been a transfer of wealth from his account to our account. He took all of our debt, a debt that he did not owe, and he paid for it in full, giving us a rich reserve of endless wealth that's eternal, that we could never ever entertain other than through what he has finished 
for us on the cross. We're in Him. We're in Him. So this morning, we're going to track through Ephesians chapter 1 for the time that we have left, which is the rest of the day, praise God. No, come on. The rest of the day. Thank you, Jesus. We'll finish about 6 p.m. tonight. Hallelujah. Praise God. We'll have dinner in the middle. But I'll just keep preaching. You can, you can eat the dinner. As we track through Ephesians 1 this morning, we're going to pick up and single out seven key words that Paul uses to describe this greatest of exchanges that's occurred for our lives in Christ Jesus. Through Ephesians 1, Paul just keeps firing out this in Christ phrase repeatedly, and he does so in chapter 2 as well. But we haven't got time to go there this morning. But when you look through chapter 1, he's just firing it out in Christ. This in Christ phrase. Firing it out throughout the chapter. Repeating it over and over because he wants us to understand that everything that Christ has has been transferred to us as a result of being in him. From Paul's opening greeting in verse 1, he gets straight to the point. Pointing out that firstly, this is the first point we're going to make. That in Christ, we are saints. In Christ, we are saints. That's the first point that Paul wants us to understand and Paul wants us to accept. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, the opening line of the letter. Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a little question as we get into this. The last time you received a letter or an email Whatever, either a letter or an email. The last time that you received it, did the opening line of the letter or the opening line of the email have the word saint in it? Have you ever received a letter addressed to you and the opening line of that letter has the title the high, stately, royal, eternal title of saint in it. Sorry for spitting. Have you ever received a letter like that? I haven't. I've received lots of letters. Lots and lots of letters. But I've never had a letter where on the first line of that letter, there is the royal title. The eternal title of saint on it. You say, well, Dave, you don't look much like a saint. 
With that hairstyle, you look more like a monk. But you know what? It's not what you look like that, that is dependent on this revelation that Paul gives to the believers in Ephesus. He's addressing them as saints. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because Paul saw people unlike many other people did. Paul had such a high regard for God's people. He had such a high, high regard for God's people because he knew the great price that had been paid for them. He knew their eternal worth in the eyes of God. So he had to use the highest title. He had to use the most noble word that he could find in his vocabulary, and there was no other word that could accurately define or describe God's people in Ephesus other than saints. Saints in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city that was full of every type of vice. It was a vile place where anything went. You think some of our cities are bad. I tell you now, you, we, we, we want to think about where the apostles planted some of the early churches when they were pioneering the kingdom for God. Ephesus was the most vilest of places. And I, I tell you now, if I, if, I went into if I went into detail as to what was happening in Ephesus, when Paul was writing this letter to saints, you would be disturbed, disgusted, and I'd probably have a load of letters complaining. If I started to describe the immoral acts that were going on in that city, I tell you now, your stomach could turn over. Irrespective of what was happening around in the culture, irrespective of all of the, the vile, immoral practices that were, that, 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 that were so prevalent throughout that city, Paul just relaxes. And, and actually, he's, um, he's in prison at the time. And he'd been in prison for two years when he wrote this letter. But there's no mention of that. No, he's captivated. His heart is beating. He sees the worth of people. He sees the worth of the church. Some people speak about the church as if it's something that's stuck to their shoe. My God, Jesus gave himself for the church, for his bride. He gave himself for you and me. He loves us. And Paul thinking about the church, irrespective of the prison that he's in, He says, to the saints, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. What an amazing way to start a letter. What an amazing opening line. What an amazing title and word to describe your life. Paul's making very clear in his, in his opening words that a great exchange has taken place. 
great exchange has been made. The believers are saints, faithful saints in Christ Jesus. Turn to the person next to you for a moment. And with a big smile on your face, say, hello, saint. Hello, saint. You're a saint. Doesn't matter what you feel like. Doesn't matter what you feel like. It doesn't matter what you look like, even if you have a wide center parting, like myself. It matters not, church. It matters not. Doesn't matter what you feel like. Doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't even matter if you've been battered and beaten and bruised up this week by life, irrespective of what life tries to do, do to you from the outside, inside, you're a saint. Hallelujah. That will never change. Irrespective of what this world tries to do to you, irrespective of how Satan tempts you and accuses you, you are a saint in Christ Jesus precious to Him. And the highest title is reserved for your life and for my life. Now, many of the believers in Ephesus might have been quite surprised on reading that first line. Maybe they thought that sinner was a better term. Maybe they thought living in such a sinful city, in such a sinful culture, being pressured by a world that wanted to mold and shape them and, 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 and take them away from Christ. Maybe they thought that, that the tag sinner would be a better means of identifying them. No. No, 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 no. No. That old tag of sinner is gone forever. That old tag, you're not a sinner. You'll never be a sinner anymore. You will never be a sinner. Now, we're not without sin. The Bible tells us that. John, in his epistles, tells us that. We're not, we're not without sin. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you're not a sinner. You've got a new nature. You're virtuous. You're kind. You're gentle. You're loving. You, you've got a brand new life in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul tells us, doesn't he? He says, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we're brand new. A brand new species of being. That's what it means to be in Christ. All the old has gone, and that old tag that hung around our neck, slave to sin, has gone. We are not slaves to sin anymore. We're not sinners. We're saints. And that's what Paul wanted them to know. That's what he wants us to know. He's not exaggerating. He's not joking. This is a precious word. This is a truth, a revelation, a picture. 
that describes them accurately as a result of being in Christ Jesus. I'm talking to saints this morning. The saints who are faithful in King's Church at Newport. Hallelujah. Saints. That's who I'm talking to. And that's what Paul wanted to get across in what he was declaring through his letter to these believers. Okay, so the next point that Paul tells us is that not only are we saints in Christ, but he goes on to tell us that in Christ we are blessed. That's the next word that he uses to define our lives now. Listen to how he puts it in verse 3. Ephesians 1 verse 3, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Him. And when God blesses anything, when God blesses some, something or someone, His power goes into operation for the thing that He's blessed to be fruitful. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing that heaven can afford because we're in Christ. Now, sometimes down here on earth, in Lower Dock Street, Newport, we might struggle to actually understand that because we have got an earth perspective. We struggle to peer beyond this place of time that we call earth. We, we struggle to understand very often what this blessing in heavenly places means that we have in Christ Jesus. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 highlights this when he says, when we're trying to look at eternal things from a natural earthly perspective, it's like looking through a glass dimly. When we try to understand all of the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus in heavenly places, from our earthly point of view, to understand it, it's like peering through a colored glass. We're seeing images, we're getting a glimpse but it's only a glimpse. We're looking through a glass dimly, he says. It's hard for us to understand all of these wonderful blessings that have been given to us in this wonderful exchange through Christ Jesus. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians 13 to tell us that we only know in part. Have you ever read that verse? We only know down here in part. A little part. But the time will come. The clock is ticking. The day is approaching. When we will know as we are known. Don't miss that. In 1 Corinthians 13. It's been a precious jewel in my life for many years. 
irrespective of what's going on in life, irrespective of the little part that I know about it, one day I will know as I am known. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Let me read it to you. He says this, Now I know in part, but then, but then, we are all heading to the then, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Hallelujah. Today, you and I only know in part, relatively speaking, and it's such a small part. It's a fragment. That's all it is. That's all we know. And the part very often that we know about of our lives leads us back into the past. The part that we know can discourage us. The part that we know can make us feel guilty, condemned, and ashamed. The part that we often reflect on and hold in our mind often gives us doubts and causes us to be suspicious and limited and restricted. It's a part. It's a small piece. And very often it's a poor piece, a fragment. But the day is coming. The day is coming when that small part will be fitted into the wonderful grand scheme of God's eternal purpose. And when that day comes, and it surely will for your life and for my life, Paul says, then I will know as I am known. You're not known by God. Through the poor, through the through the the, the the small piece of life experience that you hold in your heart. Fifty years, sixty years, a hundred years, and maybe a little bit more if you're lucky. For us, it seems like a long time. It's not a long time at all. It's a piece. It's a piece. It's just a small piece. And very often, that's how we know our lives. I know Dave Edwards because I've been with Dave Edwards living in this wonderful tent for 53 years now. I know Dave Edwards well. But God doesn't know Dave Edwards according to 53 years of broken, fallen experience that is full of weakness, that is full of inconsistency, that's full of ups and downs in life, that doesn't want to get out of bed sometimes on a Monday morning. God doesn't know Dave Edwards in that respect. 53 years of weakness, God knows Dave Edwards perfect, like a saint chosen and blessed in Christ Jesus. God knows Dave Edwards in Christ. And one day I will know as I am known. And you will too. In Christ. That's how God knows you. It really is. Never forget, God knows you 
God knows you. Not as you know yourself. God knows you as He knows His beloved Son. And all of the perfections of His Son, Jesus, He sees in you because you're in Him, you see. What an exchange. What a change. What a transformation. Paul continues, after calling us saints, revealing that we're blessed, he continues by making a third point. In verse 4, he says, now, not only in Christ are we saints, not only in Christ are we blessed, but in Christ we are chosen. Listen to verse 4. It says this, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. <laughs> Woo! Before Him in love. We may have thought that God chose us when we chose Him. But God was behind our choice all the time, choosing us before the world began. Before he'd even laid its foundation, you were on his mind. God wasn't caught up with all of the mechanics of how to get this world in place and, and caught up with all of the mechanics of how to keep it spinning and how to keep it in orbit. That was easy for him. No, God's thought, God's heart beat before the foundation of the world for those he was choosing. And you're on that list. Chosen in Christ. By God, before anything took place, before even time began. Your name wasn't pulled out of a hat. You weren't drawn up like a bingo ball. Your, 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 your life is not subject to chance. You're chosen, chosen by God. His eyes are always upon you. He never stops thinking about you. David, the psalmist, got a revelation of this when he says, Oh, if I, I can't even count the thoughts that you have about me. They're as innumerable as the sand on the seashore. You're on his mind. You're precious. Who he chooses, he cares for. You don't have a worry in the world. You're chosen, you see. By God, you're part of His plan. Review it. Think about it for a moment. You're a saint in Christ. A saint in Christ. You're blessed in Christ. And you're chosen. You're chosen in Him. And then as He moves on, fourth point, as He moves on down through this magnificent chapter, He says, now, in Christ. See, he's, he's, he's getting deeper as he goes along. He's just building this up. So they're just, he want, you see, he wants to overwhelm them with goodness. He wants to overwhelm them with blessing. He wants to load them up so much with a countering message to the culture that they were living in. As a fourth point, he says, in Christ, we are sons. Verse 5, Ephesians 1, verse 5 and 6, he says this, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, to himself, 
according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Think about that. Think about that for a moment. You're a son. You're a son of the living God, the God of the universe that brought it all into being is your father because you're in Christ Jesus. It's miraculous. It's incredible. It's wonderful. The God of the universe. The God of the universe is your father. He really is. John the Apostle, in awe of the Father's love, talking about our sonship, says this, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, he says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called sons of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now, now, right now, we are sons of God. And, listen to this, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everything, sorry, and everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. Now you're a son of God. But John scratches his head and says, but what we will be has not yet been revealed. Well, John, I thought being a saint is good. John, I, I, I thought being blessed is amazing. John, I mean, you know, being chosen by God and even being called a son, John, a son of the Father of the universe. John, this is magnificent. But John, now you're telling me it has not yet been revealed what we shall ultimately be? John saw a lot. When he was on the Isle of Patmos, he was taken up into the third heaven. And when he stood before the one that he had once laid his head on, on his breast, he fell down like a dead man. Jesus Christ in all of his glory. <laughs> Woohoo! He couldn't lay his head on him anymore. My God. He fell down like a dead man. His spirit went out of him. And the Lord had to command him to stand on his feet. John was a man that saw incredible things. He wrote a whole book called Revelation in relation to what he saw. But he could not describe ultimately what we will be in Christ. All he could say, this is all he could say because words failed him. There's no description down here. There's no metaphor. There's no parallel that he could make down here that, that could even match the wonder of who you are going to be in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, all he could say is, 
Do you know what? I don't know ultimately what we are going to be, but I'll tell you something now. When we see him, we will be like him. The indescribable one, the, 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 the jewel, the darling of heaven, the beloved of God with all of his perfection. We're going to be like him. That's who we're going to be like. You wake up on Monday morning, you wipe the, the sleep from your eyes, and you wonder what's going on. You're a son. You're a son of God. You say, well, well, but I'm a woman. That's right, you're a son. Paul says, do you know what? Listen, let's not get tangled up and twisted in all of those identity tags here. Paul said, clearly, there is no male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. All are one in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You're a son. You really are. We're sons. Nobody above another. Man is not above woman. Woman is not above man. You're sons of the universe. Hallelujah. The king of the universe. And when we see him, we'll be like him. Then the next, then next, the fifth point. Oh, we're coming into land, people. We're doing all right. The fifth point, Paul tells us that in Christ, oh, it's beautiful. And I tell you, if there's anything that will make you weep, it's this. It is this. In Christ, we are forgiven. Forgiven. I get so excited, Lord, every time I realize I'm forgiven. Come on, church. I'm forgiven. Jesus, Lord, you did it all. Jesus, Lord, you did it all. You paid the price. Paid the price. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Wave your hands. I'm forgiven. And again. Oh, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Get your phones out. Shine a torch. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. You see, Paul knew the song. Paul knew the song. He knew the song of the redeemed. We are forgiven. Hallelujah. We're forgiven. Our sins have been canceled. Our debts have been paid. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. He went into the grave, took the keys of death, rose from the dead triumphantly, ascended to the Father in heaven, offered his sacrifice. It was accepted. And now, in Revelation, John says, there is one who is worthy, hallelujah, and only one, the one who has redeemed us. And given his life for us. Hallelujah. Forgiven. He knew the song, Paul. Verse 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. We're redeemed by the blood, forgiven of all sin, through the riches of His grace. I mean, why on earth wouldn't people want this? Why on earth wouldn't they be queuing around the building just to, just to get it? Queuing up at your table at work just to receive it. 
next time the devil comes to you and accuses you, brings up your past, pull a chair up. Pull a chair up. Say, devil, listen. Take a seat. I'm, I'm going to take a seat with you. Don't be afraid of his pointy tail, his little trident and his horns. Don't be afraid. He's only a little red imp. Pour him a cup of tea. Say, devil, I'm going to keep you here this morning because you've been a hindrance to me. And now I'm going to use God's word to send you packing for good. Take him back in the past. Do that journey with him. Do that journey. Don't be afraid of your past. Take him back there. Walk with him as you sit down and preach to him. Say, devil, do you know what? Everything you're saying is true. I'll give you that. All of those things, my goodness, they are bad, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right, devil. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I did it. You're right. You were there. You instigated it. You tempted me. You tempted me. I took the bait. I ate it in full. Yep, devil. I enjoyed it. Yep, that's right. I, I know, devil. I know. I know. I, certainly, I shouldn't have done it. You're right. Yep, yeah. Tick, 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 tick. Full marks, devil. Full marks. But devil, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's something in the, my past that you, that you never choose to tell me about when you visit. But today, do you know what? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about it. Turn with me, devil, if you've got your Bible on you. <laughs> to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to go to the words of a man that you really hated, devil. His name is the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God to write to the churches. Saints who are blessed Hallelujah. Saints who are not only blessed, but saints who are chosen. And not only chosen, but saints who are. That's right. Forgiven. And quote to him. In him. Devil. That's in Jesus. In him. I have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound to me. He made it abound to me in all wisdom and prudence. And that simply means every sin, all of its types, all of its forms, the big ones, the small ones, the, the, the ones that you thought could never be erased, all of them collectively together. He made his forgiveness abound to cover them all, to go into all of the intricacies. Yep, that's it. All of those things of our lives. He made his wisdom and, and his forgiveness go into all of those shameful places of our lives. And he administered forgiveness by his blood and canceled out every, every sin. Next point. The sixth point that Paul points out is that in Christ we are heirs. Verse 11, he tells us that we've become the beneficiaries. Well, I think that's obvious by now. 
we've become the beneficiaries of an eternal inheritance. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It's amazing. It is. One of the main reasons why Jesus died was so that we could inherit all of his blessings. All of the blessings of the new covenant. I mean, being forgiven alone. If that's all we got, that would be more than we could ask for. But we don't just get forgiven. We inherit an eternal blessing ratified in his blood. A new covenant we have with God. And just like an earthly will only becomes active on the death of the person who wrote it, so God's heavenly eternal covenant only became active when Jesus died. It became active and live when Jesus died. But what's amazing, and this is amazing equally, as what happened in his death. When Jesus rose from the dead, now he becomes the mediator of that new covenant to administer it to us to make sure that we receive it in full. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. The plane is landed on the runway, ladies and gentlemen. We're about to, we're, listen, we're about to get off now. It's been a bit of a bumpy ride. But we've landed. Ready for another week ahead. Listen to it again. You're a saint. You're a saint. You're blessed. You're chosen. You're a son. You're forgiven. And you're an heir. And then finally, in verse 13, as a seventh point, Paul tells us that in Christ we are saved. We're saved. You do a study on the word salvation, the word, the Greek word sozo. Do a study on that word. You'll be there for the rest of your life. Uncovering benefit and blessing after benefit after blessing after benefit after... I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Do a study of sozo. In Christ, you and I, we're saved. We're saved. Verse 13 and 14, Paul says this again. In Him, you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. You're saved. All you did was trust. All you did was believe. And look what you got, child of God. You didn't have to do anything for it. It's all been done for you. All you had to do, that's what Paul says, just trust, 
Just believe. Place your faith on the Lord Jesus Christ that he died for you on the cross, that he went to the grave for you, that he was punished for you, for your sin, that he rose from the dead. And as you place your faith and your trust in him, the one who has borne your sin on the cross and carried all your affirmities and griefs and pains, as you place simple faith and trust in him, all of the bank vaults of heaven are transferred. It's the only way I can describe it. Are transferred to your little life account in him. Let me finish by saying this. In closing, now you know what that means. That's another 30 minutes. In closing, I love how you laugh so nervously. In closing, praise God. Do you know when, um, in Paul's day, in Paul's day, when, when somebody of, of wealth and estate needed to, to purchase a, a value, uh, an item of great value and worth, they would send their servant ahead to purchase, pur- purchase it on their behalf. Money would be paid for whatever was being bought. And if at the time of purchase, the object couldn't be taken or trans- transported by the servant, the servant, having paid for the goods, would simply take his master's seal out. Sometimes it would be a signet ring. Other times it would be a wax franking mark. He would take his owner's seal out and he would stamp what he had just bought on his master's behalf. Paul says, you're saved. But not only are you saved, you're sealed. You're sealed. There's a seal on your life. Your life can't be touched by the devil anymore. Your life can't be touched by all of those evil influences that that we were once subject and enslaved to in this world. Why? The master's seal is on you. It's on you. You have been franked with his seal because you've been paid for with his blood. And you've placed your trust in him. And one day, hallelujah, the skies will open. Jesus will return. And he'll look, he'll look for everyone that's had the seal on them, the seal of the Holy Ghost. And he'll return for what he has purchased. And he will redeem it out of this world. Hallelujah. What a wonderful hope. What a wonderful joy it is. Remind yourself every day, child of God. You're not a sinner. You're a saint. You're not poor anymore. You're rich and blessed. Your life outcome is not an outcome of chance. You're chosen by God. You're not illegitimate. You're a son. You're a child of the king. You're not condemned. You're forgiven. You're not disinherited and abandoned by God. No. You're an heir with an inheritance, a new covenant that's ratified in blood, the blood of God's Son. And in Christ Jesus, 
you and I are saved forever. Sealed. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise sent from the Father given to us. Awaiting, awaiting with great expectation the full redemption that will occur. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your precious people, precious lives. Lord, I thank you they are bought with your blood, your own blood. Our lives are not our own. We have been bought with a price, not with things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for your precious people, and I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that our eyes would be wide open with wonder as we think on and rejoice in all of the wonderful things that you've done for us and that are ours in Christ. Amen. Amen. Listen, let's stand to our feet. Let's give Jesus a big shout of praise. We're going to sing just before we go. And listen, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your attention this morning. Thank you so much. It's been a little bit longer, but I had to get that out. I couldn't, let, I couldn't keep it in. God bless you.